This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? What's up, fellows? <laughs> You're back this week. Yeesh. I don't even remember where I was last week. Oh, I was just really busy last week. Were you just cheating on us with another podcast or something? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would be heartbroken. I don't know that that would be a thing I would do. It takes a lot of, even though we just sit here and talk, it takes a lot of energy out of me to do this. So if I'm going to exert that energy, I want to be with y'all. Yeah, I feel that where it's always like the whole Friday, I'm like, okay, I have a podcast coming up. I have to think about topics and just like make sure that I don't get sucked into something and forget what time it is and then, you know, be half an hour late or something. Yeah. You know that feeling. Or I'm like just not in the headspace for it at all when two o'clock gets here. I don't know. I get like, I'm like, okay, we're going to record today. And then it's like one fifty-five, and I'm like so deep in work. I'm like, oh, how can I be social now? How can I talk? How will people listen? So <laughs> It's three o'clock here. So it's like even a weirder time, three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> That's true. Every day is five o'clock for you right now. Every day is five o'clock for me. Pretty much. I mean, sort of. How's that going? It was going pretty great. (laughs) Like in my head, like retrospectively where I was like, you know, sleeping all day and doing nothing. But, you know, I mean, actually it wasn't going that great. How's Um, the job hunt? It's coming along a bit better. I got to say, I've been a little bit busier. And now that Nate and Eric and I are working on something Chris and I, I think touched on last week, but we agreed to start to do like a, a, like a daily meeting at 10. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this gives me something to like wake up for. And like, I have to be like, you know, showered and like eat by 10, which is eight o'clock their time. And that's been nice, even though I think every time like we've yet to have, I don't think we've actually done it. Something's always happening. So wait, you actually haven't had a meeting yet? No, but every time it's 10 <laughs> o'clock, I think we, there's always one of us has something happening because we're all interviewing. So that's fair. It's just the thought that counts. As long as there's something on your calendar, you're like, right. all right, I have to get ready for this, even though I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So even though it's not happening, it, it has been nice to like get back on like a schedule where I'm waking up at like a certain time and not sleeping all day. And I've been a little bit more productive since then. I finally cleaned my room. It's a, that's a big deal for me. <laughs> We've been packing boxes every day and running to a storage unit. We decided to sell our house. So oh. that's the most I've gotten out like all year, it feels like. Dude, yeah. When we we packed up and moved to like on June 1st and God, it was so much stuff. But the worst part was post moving and being like, hey, where am I? other keys. Where did those go? It took forever, you know, to go find half the stuff that I'm like, I remember specifically putting it in a certain box being like, oh, this will be a good place to put it. And then, you know, you move and you're like, where in the heck did I put that? Why did I think that was a good idea? I wonder if I write code like that. (laughs) Yeah, we, we just started loading up boxes and we were in a storage unit by our house. And that way, when we start showing our house, there'll be 
half the amount of stuff in it. But also when we move, we can, we usually hire movers so we can be like, just go there. It's like, we don't have to go hopefully get it all back out. Like hopefully someone else will do that for us. Yeah. We moved out because our house is still on the market, but we both work from home and then our cat and dog don't get along. So like there was no way we were going to be able to pack up and have the house clean and like, you know, half an hour or whenever people come over for showings. So you were like, we'll just rent a place for a little while and figure out what we're going to do next. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to look like with the kids because they're home all the time. And my MacBooks and MacBook Air, the lowest edition one you can get. So they're going to be like, hey, I'm going to have to go like work from somewhere else. So my computer won't even like boot up. It's going to be an adventure. Do you have plans on what you're, where you're moving to? Kind of not really. So we went ahead and like went through the whole like mortgage process. So we are ready. Like pre-approved or whatever. Yeah. The market here is really hot. That's actually why we're selling. Well, part of the reason. Yeah. And same, same here, supposedly. Although I don't really know for sure. We haven't had a ton of showings. So the house like directly across the street from us went on the market. They put a sign in the yard Saturday. Monday, it was actually live on like the MLS listings. And Monday afternoon, it had a contract. So dang. That's, that's what they were trying to tell us. But we have one of the more expensive houses in the neighborhood. So. That's, I think that's, and we're in the city and there's been a lot of specifically St. Louis protests in the, in the city have been in the news and our real estate agent was like, yeah, we have some condos in the central West end area and we haven't had a showing in three weeks for any of them. And I was like, "Uh Oh, that's not good. (laughs) So our house is supposedly in the really hot price point right now. That's what all the houses are moving for here. And so or mo- the ones that are moving quickly are where we're pricing ours. So I'm optimistic. But I, it just, if the market is that hot, it doesn't do me any good to look at houses right now. Because like, by the time like, we're ready to start doing that, they could all be gone. Like the ones we found already. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're also going to pay a premium because a lot of the ones here have been going for over over less price, even like over 20, 25 grand over, which is wow. crazy. So yeah. yeah, we, we had talked about maybe trying to build cause like we've always wanted to like, actually when we tried to buy this house, we were supposed to build and like it fell through because the HOA didn't like our very modern plans. And that like Shannon was like six months pregnant when they said, no, we can't do this. So we talked about doing it again, but I don't know. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We bought a lot. My parents bought the lot next to it, which is cool. Oh, they bought right next door. Yeah. So it's like three acres each. And then, I mean, it's next door, but they're pretty large. You know, I knew they were looking at coming close to you. I didn't realize that close. So, yeah. So it's like the last two lots in this little 12 lot neighborhood. It's in the trees and stuff. And so we're like, through the going through the process of my friend who's an architect is designing the house. And actually after we're done here, I'm going to go over to his place. We're going to go look at his sketches and stuff. And yeah, we're trying to do something modern and I think we'll be fine. But there is like the three people in the neighborhood that are the architectural review board and they can veto stuff or whatever. But 
you know, we'll see. They seem like they just mostly want nice homes there. But boy, is the custom building process is like building. Like if imagine you're a client trying to hire a developer to go build an idea you've got, you're like, feels just as clueless and just as open-ended and like really potentially extremely expensive, you know, like it's a crazy thing, but it's fun to be on the other side of that process, you know? Yeah. I really like, I, I really want like a, I use the term like painfully modern home, but they just don't exist in Memphis. And so like the only way I could get one is to build it. Mm -hmm. But I've also thought about, one of my buddies, I used to work with as an architect, and I thought about buying like a house with like good bones and then asking him to like try and like draw up a way to make it a little more modern. So I don't know. Yeah, that's either, a good idea. Either one sounds like a giant pain in the ass though. So yeah. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear what happens because yeah, we're going for the same kind of modern aesthetic to it. Ours is going to be in the trees. So I think we're going to try and do like one of the modern Colorado style mountain homes, which I think would be neat. But yeah, you know, there's, it's such a weird thing where like you can dream up and it's, I guess the same for software. You can dream up something and then have no idea. Like, is this going to be cheap to build or expensive (laughs) to build? You know, it's, it's so wide ranging. Yeah. I'm a, to a fault. Like I'm pretty impatient person. So even waiting for a contractor to get to my house for the two week, like last two weeks, I've been like wanting to just bash my head through the wall. So I don't know how I would do waiting like a year for a house to be built. Yeah, it's going to be, that's for us. It's going to be really rough. Like, I'm, you know, you've got to deal with just so many different things throughout the whole process and it takes so long. And then you have to care about like the details of every single step of the way. Like, your construction loan and you know how the waterproofing is done and the framing and whatever. And it's like, it's going to be probably a full-time job just to maintain like the process of building it. And I'm not doing any of the work. Right. Speaking of software development, I guess we should probably talk about that because nobody probably really cares about our sweet home buying adventures. I thought it was interesting. Honestly, I was prepared to just keep listening. I was like, this is completely (laughs) foreign to me. This is super interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm into it. I could talk about it all day, but yeah, Yeah, me too. It's funny. I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole lately of you should look up Matt Reisinger on YouTube. He has a building company in Texas and he has videos on you name it, windows, waterproofing, like air tightness, it just all kinds of stuff. And yeah, it's a rabbit hole to go down, just like learning about, you know, Elixir or whatever. It's just so much stuff. But yeah, what are you guys doing this week? Have you worked on anything fun? I moved both my side projects to use Stripe's hosted billing stuff. And it was a dream come true. Really? Oh boy. I don't, I don't even want to think about how many hours I put into, you know, SEA and stuff from scratch. I can only imagine that as like the best thing in the world. Yeah, it was. So I didn't even realize that you can use a completely front-end version of checkout. So I implemented like, it creates a checkout session server side. 
but it's still only like eight lines of code in a controller action to like generate that. And then I just, it's just an Ajax request and I send back the ID for the session and it Stripe automatically redirects there. And then like for free, you get SCA, Apple Pay, Google Pay. And then you can define like the success or cancel link. And so I did that. And like I have like a special param I pass back that like does some like, you know, just stupid fun things like when people subscribe. But like I was able to put effort into doing those kind of things because it was so easy to set up checkout. The hosted billing stuff's even easier because it's literally just you create a billing session, which only takes like a customer and a redirect link, like a, a backlink. And it actually from Rails, you can actually just say like redirect. So I just say redirect to that billings portal and it redirects. It's awesome. Wow. That's that's stupid easy. I saw Tuple was the one that was their example or something, which is cool. So yeah, it sure seems like it would be nice. Unfortunately, trying to support PayPal, I just can't use that. I mean, I guess it could sort of, but then I'd have to like do all the other custom stuff for PayPal. So yeah, that certainly seems like what I would love to to use. Yeah, it was awesome. Like for the billing portal, like they can change, they can add multiple cards, you know, they can change their primary card, they can change their plans, cancel their plans, see all their past invoices. Like I don't have to keep up with any of that. Like I, the way I actually do it is I don't even like really care about storing like the last four digits of their card or anything like that anymore. All I do is store the Stripe data for the subscription. And then actually, it's just like, I have a model that's really just a wrapper around that. I just ask questions against the Stripe data to like know if they're subscribed or not. So I only have three webhooks now. One that the session completed, like the checkout session. One that the subscription updated, one that the subscription deleted. But they all do the same thing, which is essentially update that Stripe data record. Huh, that's cool. Like, trying to think, when you have multiple... And they're not even called plans anymore. They're prices or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But they introduced like one-time purchases too. Can you control what's displayed on the change your plan section? Because like my Stripe account is maybe not like most, but I have GoRails and Hatchbox and Jumpstart stuff in there in one account. And most of the things like Barometrics doesn't have any idea that you have three different products. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, one business. Here's all your stuff combined. So I was curious if you can, you know, separate out stuff in there. Yeah, you can. So I don't think you can create like separate portals, right? But for a given store account on Stripe, you can tell it what products people are allowed to select from. So I actually don't know how it handles or if it handles multiple. Surely it would, because that's like their big push lately is multiple pricings and products. But yeah, um, all my stuff right now is like, you can only be on one plan. So yeah, it works out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like there's a rabbit hole of, you know, complexity there because you might have like, Intercom's a good one where it's like, yeah, it's based upon some quantity of customers or whatever that you have, but then you can buy add-ons for support and chat and 
whatever else. And yeah, pricing models get to be like wildly complex. So it seems like it's it's taken them a long time to build that, but between SEA and just the sheer complexity of all the different business models that they'd have to support, like no wonder it's taken so long. For my like really simple use case, it's so awesome. Like the code is so simple. Like for Hope Grid, we were like, oh, we want to like create a coupon. And we haven't supported coupons in the past. But I didn't have to do anything but create a coupon, right? Because Stripe checkout and the billing portal can handle that. So I don't have to like add a coupon field, take it in, pass it up to Stripe, store that somewhere. Right. Yeah, it's like... It's it's funny because even something as simple as a coupon is complicated because you can have coupons that apply to the subscription itself or the customer as a whole. And, you know, it's just like a lot of things. So having a portal like that almost brings... It may make Stripe actually easier than what it originally... Like when I originally used it pre-SCA. Like it was pretty simple then. But it was still hard to wrap your head around things, you know? And so now it's like maybe getting back to that level of ease, if not even more easy, which is, that is nice having had to maintain the SCA stuff and jumpstart. I don't want to do that again. Well, so like I won't even, when I was using pay for those apps, I wouldn't even upgrade to pay two because I didn't want to have to like set up the SCA part of it. Yeah. Which and I, that part, the JavaScript is the hard part, you know. Right. The 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 back end side was like, cool, we'll just look at your subscription and if it's incomplete, we redirect you to a pay like page, but that client side is nasty. And we think like that's a big reason. Well, let me back up. Like it's not that integrating with Stripe is hard. I mean, it's definitely harder with SEA. But it's just so time consuming, right? And like that's why the jump starts of the world can't exist because people don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to, I'm tired of writing all that billing code over and over again. And that's one of the things that appeals to me. Like, I would rather dumb down my like subscription model to fit into Stripe checkout than write all that stuff myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one, yeah. I mean, I, I see that a lot. Like people use charge B and all these other services as wrappers around it. Cause it is, it is a lot of work and forget what, what the name of that one was, but I had an idea a long time ago of like, just kind of a service that sat on top of Stripe where you just get like a JavaScript snippet to embed in your site, kind of like the hosted pages, but you know, embeddable. I forget what it was called, like service bot or something is a, uh, JavaScript like payment or pricing form or like, you know, that section of your pricing page, you can just drop in. You can drop in the like update your card section and whatever. And it was kind of cool, you know, basically write no payments code, ideally, which is what you want. You want to just be able to define like this user can pay and they can access this site if they're paying uh, and they're on this tier or whatever. Like it's all you really want. You don't want to. You you got your whole product to build. Not you don't want to worry about payments the whole time. That's the stuff that like you have to make sure you get right. You know you don't want 
don't want to charge people twice. You know, if your JavaScript messes up and submits the form two times or whatever, that's bad. There's so many little things that you have to worry about. It's crazy. Yeah, Laravel cashier just added support for Paddle. Oh, nice. So. Somebody is somebody made a PR for pay um, to add Paddle support. Cool. And I just haven't had the time to sign up for Paddle and use it to go walk through it. Because there's like, you know, there are complicated sort of nuances between the APIs. So, you know, like the Braintree and Stripe stuff are not very... They appear the same on the surface, but the details of them are very different. So I've been trying to find time to go check out Paddle and see how that goes. But it's good if they've got it in uh, cashier. That was the inspiration for pay back when we started. Yeah, they they also, I'm pretty sure cashier dropped Braintree support. So yeah, I did see that. it's really complicated. It's nasty. I just want, I still need PayPal support. I don't know about Paddle if they support that or not, but I need to look into it. But yeah, other than that, I don't have a ton of super exciting things going on technology-wise. I'm just same old grind. Yeah, well, I spent the majority of the last three days, I think, extracting like every string out of Jumpstart Pro into locales which I should have done from the beginning, but that is a thing that like, there's the I-18N tasks gem to try and extract stuff, but that is, there's no way to like reliably pull every string out of your app. So rather than doing that, I just went through and like, okay, we'll just open the controllers folder, start one by one, and then go through every single view and do the same things. And once you get into like the zone on it, it's really not too bad. Because Rails is really good about the like translation key names. If you start them with a period, they'll like auto scope, which is so awesome. So, you know, for the most part, it was easy enough just to have your editor open with your, your view and then one with the locale open and just start extracting stuff one by one. But yeah, that was, that was a long process. But man, there's some cool stuff in there. But there's also some like really annoying things. Like if you if you follow the Rails guides and you use the around action to to set the the locale, that does not work. And it won't it will work for most things. But if you have rack stuff like warden in devise, that's not going to wrap the translation with the right language there for the errors. But as I found out through like couple hours of digging when that changed in the rails guides Xavier posted that he was like this isn't like the original thing was that it was not thread safe to set the locale directly and he was like that's not true anymore and that was like the the thing that everybody was saying was like the rails guys say you need to use the around action and he's like well not really like it's not because it's not thread safe so yeah, that took forever to figure out. But if you do a regular before action, it'll work, but not an around action. Strange. So, yeah, there's a lot of little things to learn to do that properly. It is quite the, quite the thing. And I'm glad that it's done and I won't have to worry about it again. But yeah, that was fun. 
Chris, I think last week I had told you that I converted Jumpstart. I think I told you too, Jason, that I converted the Jumpstart app to Slim. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, we converted it back. <laughs> back. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Well, we converted it back. Your, your, like, your pull request to upgrade to the latest version of Jumpstart would be very tough. If you, you know, wanted to pull in any updates, you'd pretty much have to do it manually. So, yep. well, and even though like... Not, not a problem anymore. <laughs> the translation stuff, I merged into the marketing site, which is like a Rails app, but I basically just added licenses and forum stuff. And like the PR for that wasn't too bad, but it did like, if you've customized those things, there'll be a lot of little things to go and fix, but... It's really not too bad to pull in that, the translation stuff, but yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I want to do translations, but I don't want to do the work involved with doing translations. And because theore- like realistically, I'm probably, it probably doesn't need to be translated. I mean, maybe that's wrong. I don't know. It probably should, but we'll, we'll see. I, I'll probably do it, honestly. Yeah, that's where I landed with it originally, where I wanted to do it. But I was like, you know, like, I don't know how important it's going to be. So I'll do it without and then I can extract it later. And it wasn't too bad. I mean, it took me three days or something to do. But honestly, that's not that's not too bad. If you have maybe a lot of content or you need... Actually, the really... Probably the hardest part is if you need models that are translatable. That's... Right. Way more complicated than translating your your notices and your alerts and your views. Like that's not too bad. But when it's like dynamic stuff, then you got a lot more complexity there. Started field help like with translations in mind. So like eighty percent of field help. I mean, I only have, I only have the English translations, but it's like actually using like keys and stuff. But they're pretty poorly done. Um, but they're at least they're there. But like field help is a thing like I could see, you know, like it's a knowledge base. So it'd be nice to have it other languages for people. But like Hope Grid, we only market to U.S. churches. So like it doesn't feel like that effort is worth it, at least not right now. Yeah. When someone asks, you can do it. That's kind of what I felt like with, with Jumpstart. And honestly, it wasn't until more recently that people asked for it. It's been almost a year. Or it's been over a year, I guess. So, you know, it's, I don't know if I would rush to do it again. It makes things like maintaining the app is a little bit more complicated because you need to jump between these files and kind of have your locale open all the time. And then it's kind of like the pain of your, like any, any stuff that is tab based, like your Python code or YAML files you can really easily make a mistake and then like, you know, oh, it wasn't tabbed over enough and then it's, it doesn't exist. And, you know, I hit that a couple times and whatever. And it's like, yeah, there's some extra work to it, but it doesn't feel like that's the, the regular like Rails locale stuff isn't too bad. It's actually awesome because there was, there's a lot of things in the app that like, so, so for like, table on scaffolds, like the table headers, you know, you usually write that out as a string or something of like username or what created 
And it's nice to be able to go and just say like user dot human attribute name and give it the attribute. And then you can go customize that in your locales to render something totally different, which is cool. And then I didn't even realize that you could do placeholder is true. And then that will look for your locale instead of like passing a string in directly, which is nifty. So I I learned some things doing that. So I'm going to make a screencast and all that, you know, and go through the whole, the whole process. But yeah. um, That was my next question. Are you going to make a screencast on that? Yeah. And, and I actually pulled out in the jumpstart docs. If anyone wants to see, like if you go to docs, I18N, there's, all the details there and like examples of do, like if you want a locale string or translation string that has someone's name like welcome chris you can pass in parameters but you can also end your key with underscore html and it will make it html safe so if you want to render strong tags or span tags in your in your translation you can which is pretty neat so I ended up doing that in a bunch of places because that makes things like if you had like a need help, contact us thing and you had the contact us as a link, that gets to be annoying. So you can just have that, you know, link passed in as an option, which is cool. Other Rather than splitting it into like several different keys, which would get confusing to write in your, in your locales. So I thought that was cool. Like there's some you know, plenty of other little tricks like that, but Rails has everything you could want aside from translating models built in, it seems like. Yeah, I will have to check that out. That I remember going through and learning a bunch about I18N one time and there is a lot that you kind of forget if you don't use it a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I haven't... In most of the stuff I'm doing is just for... Same as you were saying, Jason, like just for US companies or whatever, or like if, I, if I'm recording videos, like not also recording it in Spanish. So it's like most of the time I just have English things, but it's nice to be able to do that and like just be more, I don't know, it, you want to be able to do that and make it more accessible by default kind of all the time. So it's good, a good practice to have, I think. Yeah, building for or doing it in the beginning instead of thinking of it as afterthought is definitely gonna save your bacon probably down the road. Yeah. Actually, yeah. if you like get into a good pattern, it also makes testing like controllers in Rails a little easier because like for field help, I wouldn't have to like go because I kind of had a pattern for like notices. I would be able to write a test and just be like, oh, I assert equal flash notice equals i18n.t, this key. And like that, it was just like those little improvements that made life a little better. Yeah, your your tests aren't like hard coding, like, you know, successfully updated, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, it's dynamic string. It can change and my tests don't have to break, which is like the whole point of writing a good test suite. It does bring up something that like, I wasn't entirely sure how I wanted to handle it. And I was curious and wanted to discuss it with you guys. Like, so imagine you have several pages that are similar, you know, like your edit screen and they all have like a backlink. Do you make a separate locale translation for each of those backlinks? 
and just have duplicates? Or do you extract that out as one like parent level thing? Because the way that the keys work, if you aren't, if anyone's not familiar, if you say translate back, that will look at the top level of the language and look for the key back. But if you do dot back, it will look at your views names. So like app views, dashboards, show. It would look for dashboard show back. And as I was going through there, I had, you know, some things I repeated, like uh, like a disable with on buttons. So like submitting or something or processing. And I would use that multiple times. And so those I would kind of pull up to the top because I'm like, these aren't really, these are generic. So I thought that made sense. But then I got wondering, like, does the back in my view on the form, is that generic or should I, you know, extract that per view and then make it easy to change later on? And I was like, curious what you got, what your thoughts were on that. So the approach I took in field help was to just duplicate them. And the reason is maybe a bad one, but if I do want to go in and personalize certain ones, then I already have all the keys there. I can just go to the en.yaml file and update it. And I don't have to go to the view and add a custom one, right? Like I'd rather repeat myself in the YAML file than have to like go back and edit the app just to put like a single custom one in because I may want to say like back to some other page in the future. So that's, I mean, that's the approach I took. Yeah, I... I was going to be on your side, Jason, but when you said it, I kind of thought about it for a minute and I was like, I feel like if every backlink, like if you expect every backlink to have the same back text, then I think having it as a a global is like totally fine. And then if you do want a specific, like a specific like text on your backlink, then I feel like at that point you should like abstract it into your like translations. But for Jumpstart, I think, I would want it all in the keys just because like I would probably want to like change that. But like for a normal app, I don't think I would do that. I think I would have like a top level key for back and then any, anything different would have to like be changed inside. It's kind of, I kind of ended up doing that, I think, but I, I also did, I used a top level back because I wanted those all to be consistent. And that was a good, good way to do that. And then as I got into some other things, like the disable with on the buttons, it was like, well, I'm just repeating this and I always kind of want it to be the same thing. I'll leave that as a top level key. But then there was some other things like breadcrumbs or something. You know, if you had edit account or whatever in the in the title or your breadcrumbs like those things seem like in the future they'll be more unique to that that page or resource or whatever so i did tend to lean towards those in in certain cases but it's it's like a really interesting thing i don't know that originally i thought about like well it's going to be annoying for the translators to translate back 47 times or whatever but is it really? Probably not. They can go copy the other one or they know how to speak the language. It's not going to be hard for them to type that again. So, you know, I, I realized then like, oh, it's probably not a big deal if they're like repeated in there. So, yeah, it seems like an interesting thing. 
the management of the keys and getting them to your translators and back into your app and all that seems like that's the complicated part. Like, you know, you, you don't want to duplicate things. You might delete something though. And if it's, you know, if you're using one of those third-party apps and importing it and then giving that to your translators, it seems like it's very easy to just like end up with keys you don't use and things like that. So yeah, I haven't gotten to that part yet, but it seems like that process of managing your translations in the long run could be much more complicated once there's multiple people involved. I think we should plug App Locale <laughs> at this point. If you would like to solve that problem. <laughs> Good old Andrew Famera. He built that in Jumpstart Pro, which is cool. So now yeah. he can merge in the translation support for his translation service. <laughs> there you go. That is inception. There you go. Yeah. What do you guys use for that at Podia, Jason? Phrase app. Phrase. Yeah. No. I don't even really understand the process anymore, to be honest. You like push up to GitHub. It will look at your keys and then you can go in the app and like look up each one. But the last time I remember it, like, so what I like to do is like open a word and translate it all like eight times uh, in Google Translate. But the UX was a little confusing in phrase app. I don't remember the exact thing, but like there's a lot of manual work. Like, cause you still have to go look up all the Google translations and things like that. Like one of my coworkers, actually, he makes like a Google spreadsheet and just go ahead. He goes ahead and translates everything. So he can just copy and paste it in phrase app one by one. And then phrase app opens a PR against your app. Huh? But that's what like, that's why app locale was such like a good idea because like it does the auto translate with Google translate. That's the only reason I actually have been translating field help is to use something like app locale. So then like, cause I just want it done for me. Right. Um, right. The, the painful part of translating is not speaking eight different languages. And so it's a very tedious process, yeah. uh, even more so than like, it's even more tedious than the work to set up the keys. It's the actual like translating the keys. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Cause translating that stuff, requires context and things too that you know gets to be tough and talk to Jesper from the Go Rail Slack who's who works at Zendesk and he told me they actually at Zendesk their locales actually include some metadata like a screenshot of where it's used at so that you can see the context uh, around the string and I thought that was fascinating like it makes perfect sense but oh my god does that have to be like annoying to set up and screenshot every string, especially when you change your design. Like that is a great way to lock your dev team into like one design because oh boy, that would be so much manual work to go re-screenshot everything if you redesigned uh you know even a widget, you know? So yeah, it seems like it seems like a a really complicated thing because like you as the developer might know English and then you might change a screen and you might forget to add keys to the other languages, but you might do them in English. And then like the management service needs to be able to tell like what's the primary language that you're always going to update maybe. 
and then be able to make sure all the other languages have the same keys and whatever. Yeah, it's it's a complicated problem, I think. So Andrew, what else you been up to this week? I have been playing with Bridgetown still. Hey. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. Like I have so I've been doing that. I've made like a gem or two for it and wrote, wrote like a blog post about hooking up a Bridgetown site to Netlify CMS. And I think I got a PR too into the latest release for docs. So that's kind of what I've been fiddling with when I'm not, when I have nothing to do. That's cool. Yeah. What are you, what are you adding to it? I just wrote docs. Jared's come out with some crazy cool uh, new stuff in it recently, like replacing Liquid with ERB or Hamel or Slim. Uh, I think Liquid is definitely a learning curve. <laughs> yeah, at first. I, w- I would much prefer ERB, I think. Liquid is oh, yeah. strange. Liquid is strange, but I don't find that... I mean, I've seen a few people that are like, oh, well, I don't want to use it because I don't want to use Liquid. I'm like, how much... Like, you don't have to write that much Liquid. You're mostly writing HTML. So back when my first job out of college, I was building... We had this giant monorepo and we needed to convert the docs that were in the repo into a static site. And I wrote some gnarly liquid code to generate the sidebar with nested navigation. <laughs> and it, it trains oh, stuff. And that's, that blog post on my personal site still gets comments that are like, oh, thanks for this. And Really? I'll have to look yeah, that up. It was all like all in liquid. And it was kind of like just trying to keep track of the tree. And as you render it, just like lose the, the parent and just render the, you know, go through and render like all the child nodes and stuff. And yeah, that was, that was complicated to do or like strange to do right in, in liquid. Um, and I, I can only imagine that like people who are building Shopify stores are building some crazy liquid. Oh, yeah. So. I I guess that would be painful to do with Liquid, but because Bridgetown is like Webpack, like JavaScript out of the box, like I would just do that in JavaScript, honestly. Forget that. Like yeah. <laughs> That sounds painful. I need to, at some point, convert my site over from Jekyll to Bridgetown on, on my personal site, but I haven't touched that and... I don't know how long. And then it reminded me too that I, so I added, I don't think it's a public feature yet, but there's a feature flag on Hatchbox to um, deploy a static site. So if you basically, it'll clone a repo and then you can run your build command. So like Jekyll build or whatever. And then you can have that as long as it writes the files to the public folder, it will just serve it up, which is cool. So I was going to go through Bridgetown and, and test that and make sure it worked too. Because I think that would be awesome. There's just yeah. like the nuances of that of like, okay, well, if you're going to write with whatever Bridgetown, Jekyll, or any of the JavaScript ones, I need to install the language and whatever. And I didn't necessarily like have those ready to go. Or I haven't had a good way of selecting those languages. It's just been RBN. So... Long term, right. it'll support more than that. But right now, it's just mostly Ruby language selection. So that's kind of limited it a bit. But 
be cool. Cool to have that. Yeah, that would be cool. I think it takes like a couple times, especially if you've never written a Jekyll site. So y'all would probably be a, a bit more of an advantage than I was, but I'd never written a Jekyll site. So we're not really written one, you know, like played with one, never really written one. And I, I found it took me about two or three times of building something with, with Bridgetown to the point where like I knew exactly what it was and I could kind of like fly through it, especially now that I figured out how to get Netlify CMS working. That's been pretty, pretty sweet. And like now I know how I have like all my ways that I know how to get like the syntax highlighting and the tailwind, um, the tailwinds, you know, went like out of the box and then just kind of like the layouts and like Jared created this thing called liquid components. So you can have like liquid, literally like components, kind of like view component. And he also like built a way to have a really nice way to preview them on the site. And that like I build like pretty much my pages with just liquid components and they all have like a corresponding preview that you can see uh, like on a public domain with like the code. And it's been, it's, I've like hit like a really nice workflow with it. So I've been having like a ton of fun over there. Jason, I, I built, I built, I built a site for you on a live stream one night. Yeah. I, I don't remember what happened. I got on like Twitter, the remote Ruby Twitter the next day and there were like 18 notifications. I was like, Oh God, like what did we do wrong? <laughs> And it was all your live stream. I was touched that you wanted to rebuild my janky little website. So, yeah, well, I I wanted something to do that wasn't mine <laughs> because I was like, if it's mine, then I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bike shit on that. <laughs> so I I was like, I'll literally just try to copy Jason's site pretty much, and that that was pretty fun. Jared was on, and a few people and actually had some nice, opened up some issues, got some more documentation and Bridgetown from that. Oh, cool. And I started like, from that, I started a like awesome Bridgetown list. So yeah, that was fun. That's awesome. But that's what I've been doing. Other than that, I've been interviewing and watching the boondocks. <laughs> how's the, how's the interviewing going? It's going, it's going okay. It's exhausting, but I know I finally I finally started finding some more companies that are kind of doing some of the stuff that I like. And it took me a while to figure out exactly what that was. Like every single person I've interviewed with goes, like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, a job. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> like the I, most amount of money I've ever seen. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. I write rails and I like money. But like I, I actually at some point did figure it out. I was like, I don't want to work on like a GraphQL backend or like just a backend or just a frontend. I want to work like on a product. Yeah. And yeah. it took a few to find that out. Yeah. That's a good thing to understand when you're interviewing. Like, are you going to be doing just a piece of the backend and you'll never touch frontend code or like, you know, I like working on stuff and seeing how customers use it and talking to them and, you know, all that. And I like that interaction, but that's like, they're very different roles that you have to make sure that you are, you know, qualifying for. Uh, Cause yeah, you can easily get into a job you hate and you don't want that. So that's, that's right. really good. Good thing to keep in mind as you interview. 
I think the most interesting thing I've found so far, and this was very recent, is a company hiring a front-end Rails developer, but not for not for writing like JavaScript on the front end, like just for writing their Rails like server-side rendered stimulus front end. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I was like, I don't I like to like do the whole thing, but that that's pretty cool that there's someone out there who's like, yeah, I like Rails and I just want like someone to work on the front end of my Rails app and write ERB and know how to write Rails and write stimulus. <laughs> huh, that's pretty cool. I remember watching a Ryan Singer video on like Vimeo a long time ago, and he was talking about design at a conference and he was like, yeah, I'll usually just spin up a Rails app and like, you know, sketch out my design in there and whatever. And I was like, what? Like, d- like designers spinning up a Rails app you might see him build something in just static HTML, like a Jekyll thing or Bridgetown or whatever, but not usually a dynamic site, which is pretty sweet. So yeah, it's it's fascinating how all that stuff is changing. But yeah, how are you feeling about the the process of interviewing? It feels like it goes on forever. My my feelings towards the process of interviewing are bleh. <laughs> just an overwhelming bleh. Like just tiring and it's exhausting and it goes on forever. And then some people don't respond to you. And sometimes I, you have ADHD and lose their email, like in one of the 1800 email addresses you have. <laughs> just, I don't know. It's, it's a long, it's a tiring process. And I'm really, I'm getting to the point where I'm ready for it to be over. Cause I was kind of lollygagging at first, trying to like find like the most perfect thing ever. And at this point I'm like, I'm so... I'm tired of doing this. I'm ready to get a job. Like, not that I, not one that I'll hate, but like, like at this point, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm ready to go back to work. You're, you're bored now. <laughs> I'm, I'm living like an animal. I need structure again. <laughs> well, DHH said they were, well, they had three like sysadmin jobs that went live today, but he said on Twitter they were going to be hiring for developers and stuff soon. I saw so, that. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to apply just to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, well, hurt, I'm pretty man. sure GitHub has a open, like some rails engineer positions today too. Oh, cool. I know they were, weren't they hiring for somebody on uh, GitHub actions? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. That would be a fun one for sure. That sounds did like they, a lot of go. Did they, did GitHub get rid of their job board or is that still a thing? Well, the job that they posted that I saw today was in Greenhouse. Although I'm pretty sure they still have a job board. I'm pretty sure I saw that recently, but it didn't look like super popping, you know? Yeah. Oh, here it is. It wasn't super uh, lit. Jobs.github.com. Yeah, there's like two featured jobs. And that's it. But yeah, it's not popping. There's, there's two Rails jobs in the last week. So... Not not exciting. Yeah. But yeah. It used to be the place to go. I remember a long time ago. But yeah, GitHub would be GitHub's changed so much. It's amazing. They're like a totally different company these days. They're bringing it back. I feel like I'm like, it would be fun to work on any of their problems. You can go work on View Component. Yeah. It'd be fun. There you go. That would be pretty fun. I have been, I guess we can probably, we can wrap this up. I think we're starting to ramble, but I will say that I've, I've 
the one problem I have with like, even though I would love to go do something like, you know, write tailwind and stimulus on the front end all day or like work with something like Vucapet, like that's great. But I feel like if I don't get something that is mostly either full stack or back end, like I won't be able to be taken as seriously as a Rails engineer in the future. And that's the one thing that's been bugging me in my mind for people that are like, well, we need a Rails engineer, but we need you to be mainly like we will want you mainly to be doing like stuff on our front end. Just like, well, I don't I feel like I need to stay in the back end or like the future could be impacted. Yeah, I think the yeah, the front end stuff seems to be a lot of like we're looking for a Ember or Angular or Vue or like a specific technology. And then when it comes to the back end, it's like you're learning might be learning rails but honestly like you could just as easily write that in go or python or whatever and it's like gonna apply to to any kind of logic in the back end and i think you do get to do more you get to do more business logic-y things whereas the front end's mostly about hiding and showing and changing divs and whatever more design yeah. in a way my my greatest enemy the design <laughs> You just need Steve Shogar on your side and you'll be fine. Yes. Once human cloning becomes legal in the United States, I know exactly what I want to do with it. You can do it before it's legal. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not in this country. Off air. Off air conversation. (laughs) Well, on that note, anything else you guys want to talk about before we head out? Oh, this this was good. Good to catch up. Yeah. It's good to have you back. Next week we're gonna have Steve Polito back on the show, which is cool. He got a oh yeah, he got a job because of our podcast, man. Like, how cool is that? So, I'm repping that. I'm putting that on my resume. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be fun to catch up with him and see how things are going and what how life has changed since the new job and whatever. So I'm excited for that. But yeah, I guess that's it for this week. Cool. Good to catch up and touch on next week. Later, see you guys. Skaters. <laughs> <laughs>